0: Please be seated. Who is Jesus? This question is as important as it is timeless. How you answer it influences how you live and where you spend eternity. Amid much speculation, the Gospel of John gives us a clear picture. Jesus reveals his true identity. He tells us who he is in his own words. We are in a series called I Am. Exploring the identity of Jesus who Jesus is based on his own words He tells us who he is and it's important for us to learn about Jesus because we gain a better understanding Of who our Lord and Savior is So that we can grow closer to him But as we learn about Jesus, we also gain a better understanding About ourselves, don't we about our own calling and our own purpose in life as followers as disciples of Jesus Christ. And so it's so important that we look at what the Bible says about Jesus, what Jesus says about Jesus. And so today we're going to be in John chapter 6. If you have a Bible you might want to turn over to John chapter 6. That will be our text for today. Before we jump in though, let me just remind you about this important process that we're going through. We're just initiating this discipling recognition and shepherd recommendation process this is a a long process of discernment for this congregation we're entering this season of discernment and we want to hear from you so there are two forms a yellow form for the discipling recognition and a green form for the shepherd recommendation these forms are also online on our forms list and on the forms list they aren't yellow or green but you can tell uh, what they are just by the title of those and so the discipling recognition is a way for you to share with our elders our shepherds the people in this congregation who are actively discipling you bringing you closer to christ and Christ's likeness our shepherds want to commend them they want to know the men the women the children the adults everyone students who are discipling people in this congregation because they want to commend them they want to say thanks to them and then from those people that you submit on the yellow form the discipling form Maybe there is a man or two that also has the heart of a shepherd and is captured by the characteristics of a shepherd in scripture that you think would be a great addition to our eldership. Someone who could help shepherd the flock here at Edmund. And you can put those names down and uh, those will be considered. And so again, this is an important process of discernment that we want all of us to be praying about and participating in. It's so important. So thanks for doing that. The deadline for both of these forms is next Sunday. That's April 17th, next Sunday. So make sure you get those turned in. Again, those forms are out in the lobby, the actual physical forms, or they are online on our forms list that you can find as well. John chapter 6 today, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I brought something with me, a little prop today. Have you ever played the game of life you remember this game? The Game of Life. This game was invented, I think, in 1960, and the idea is that it would simulate what life is really like. Let's see if I can get this out of the box here, and let's take a look. This morning at first service, I, the whole thing fell apart on me, so we'll try, we'll try to keep it together here. It's that wheel, you gotta watch that wheel. So this is The Game of Life. You can see it has, uh, maybe you can see, It has a starting place and it has a finishing place. And as you weave and go through the different challenges and obstacles and opportunities of life, you make decisions. But you also have life happen to you. And the idea, again, is that this simulates real life. But what's interesting about this is, if you're like me and you play a game, one of the very first questions you have is what? How do you win? How do you win at the game of life? Do you know how you win at this game? You make the most money. You accumulate the most money. And if you look, just about every space on this board has to do with money. Either spending or gaining money, either earning or losing money. You had a child, that's gonna cost you money. (laughs) It's time to pay taxes, that's going to cost you money. You got a promotion at work you get some money and on and on it goes there's even a square on here that says you sue someone you get some money so (laughs) now what's interesting is recently somewhat recently the designer said you know what I'm not sure if this really reflects consumers changing view of life And so they said, we need to add some things to it. And one of the things they added to it was now you can do good deeds and you can be rewarded going through life doing good deeds, like saving an endangered species. You know, that's something you can do on a Tuesday, right? (laughs) Or opening a health food store, a great good deed, opening a health food store, or recycling and saving the planet. But even then, you know what's interesting? They had to come up with some way to reward good behavior and good deeds, so how did they do that? With money. (laughs) (laughs) So you open a health food store, you get $100,000. You come up with a solution for pollution, as they say, and you get $250,000. Sounds like a great deal to me. So again, the idea is you go through life and you try to accumulate as much money as you can, and then you'll be the winner. But another change they made in the redesign in 2007 is instead of having one place to start, it had multiple places. Multiple places to start life. And it had no particular end. There wasn't an end. There wasn't a place, a spot on the board that said, this is the end. Isn't that interesting? A reporter who was reviewing the game said this about the redesigned game. They said, it is the selling point of the game. Life has no goal. <laughs> she went on to say that life is aimless. She was describing the board game, but isn't that sometimes how we feel? Maybe you haven't played this game, but I can assure you, you have played the game of life. You have gone through life and had life happen to you good, bad, and some maybe in between. You've gone through life taking step after step, spinning the wheel, and you've made decisions. And maybe you've lost money, and maybe you've gained money. And all along, you've decided and wondered and tried to find out, what is the goal? Where am I going? How do I know if I win at this thing called life? And for many of us, we're just wandering aimlessly. There seems like there isn't a goal. We're just going around and around the board. We're just spinning the wheel and spinning the wheel and seeing what happens in life. Now, back in Jesus' day, of course, they did not have the game of life. But in many respects, they did have the game of life. Yeah, the rules were different. The circumstances were different. But they, like many of us, were looking for something that gave them fulfillment, something that said, yes, this is what life is about. This is why I'm here. This is what brings me peace and a level of contentment. This is where I find fulfillment. And like us, many of them said it has to do with the here and the now, the tangible, the things that I can feel and see, those things that make my physical life better, my lot in life improved, things that are material in nature, that's what many of them thought life was about that's what many of us think life is about the more we can accumulate the more we can gather the better life is and Jesus came along and he redefined the rules of the game of life he didn't just redesign life he basically turned life upside down didn't he and Jesus says, let me show you the way to true life. But more than that, Jesus didn't just show us the way of life. Jesus said, I am life. If you want to find life, if you want to win at life, then you must be with Jesus. Last week, when we talked about Jesus' statement, I am the good shepherd in John chapter 10, we called attention to that claim that Jesus made in John 10 verse 10 he said I came to give you life in all of its fullness that's what the new century version says some versions say life abundant life some some versions say uh, some form of satisfaction I came to give you a satisfied life life to the full Jesus says that's why I came to give you life and so Jesus didn't just show us the way of life he is the way of life but the problem is many of us are quite content with trading a full life with the temporary feeling of being full you know what i'm saying we will trade the long-term eternal view of abundant life with what we want or think we need right here and right now in john chapter 6 Jesus has a huge crowd gathered, over 5,000 people there. And if you know very much about the Bible or if you grew up going to Bible class, you probably remember the story of Jesus feeding the crowd of over 5,000 using just a boy's small lunch, two fish and five pieces of bread. And Jesus feeds this crowd. It's a miracle, obviously. Can you imagine being there that day and seeing this, participating in this? watching as this unfolded in front of you and having food handed to you as much as you wanted. Clearly, this was a sign for the people to show them that Jesus wasn't ordinary, that Jesus was special, that he was from God. And that's why people gathered around him, because he could do things that other people couldn't do. And so in our, in our text today, John 6, verse 2, We see that a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Note that word signs there. We'll come back to that in a minute. I don't think it's a mistake that John, inspired by the Spirit, uses that word signs. So a great crowd is following Jesus because why? Because they've seen him do these miracles, heal people no one else can do. And now they're gathered and Jesus is feeding them in a miraculous way their stomachs are full and they're thinking you know what I could get used to this this is a good deal I want more of this that's the nature of consumption isn't it when we consume it only leads us to consume even more that's the nature of human desire when we desire something and we get a little bit of it or even sometimes a lot of it we continue to desire more if you're hungry and you eat Even if you go to one of those all-you-can-eat buffets, (laughs) you get as much as you can stand. What's going to happen pretty soon? You're going to get hungry again. That's why people go back to the buffets. That's the nature of desire. You're never satisfied. It never brings complete fulfillment. So this crowd is seeing what Jesus can do, and the light bulb goes off in their minds, we need to keep this guy around. Maybe he is more than just a guy. Maybe he is from God. Maybe he's a prophet or something like that, they reason. In fact, maybe he is more than that. Maybe he is the Messiah. Maybe he is the king we've been waiting for. And in their minds, remember, this king, this Messiah, is going to set up an earthly kingdom, something tangible, something that would benefit them in the here and the now. He's going to overtake Rome. He's going to set up a kingdom. He's going to have a military Their lives would be better because they were the chosen, the covenant people of God, they reasoned. Verses 14 and 15, we see Jesus knows their hearts. He knows their minds. They're ready to make him king by force, the text says. And so he withdraws from them. That's not a part of his agenda. I think it's interesting, just as sort of a side note, they are ready to make Jesus king by force. Whatever that means. They're going to stand up for him, they're going to fight for him, or maybe they're going to force him to be king. Whatever it means, it means they are convicted. They have this passion, this enthusiasm, this energy to make Jesus king. Why? Because they want the physical, tangible kingdom they think he's going to set up. And what happens when he reveals to them that this kingdom is not primarily physical, material? It is eternal. It is spiritual. Where does, their, where does their enthusiasm go? Where does their passion go? Are they willing to fight to make him king then? Sure doesn't seem like it. So Jesus withdraws from them. And then in John 6, you have the story of Jesus walking on water. We won't take the time to look at that. But a miracle again, a sign again. Jesus walks on water. He gets to the other side. Let's pick up the text there in verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the lake... They ask him, Rabbi, when did you get here? (laughs) Well, he walked on the water. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed. There's that word again, signs. In other words, he's saying, not because you think I am truly the Messiah from God, Why did they follow him? He says, But because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Because I filled your stomachs. That's why you're following me. Verse 27, Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they ask him, What must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they ask him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? (laughs) That's remarkable to me that they ask that question. After all they've seen, after all they've been through. But back up a little bit. What does Jesus say? Jesus says you're craving temporary food. You're hungering for mere crumbs that will not satisfy you. And I am inviting you, Jesus says, to a spiritual feast, to sit at the table and dine with me, and you will never be hungry again. Food that will satisfy you. Not just feed your stomach, but your soul. Food that will forever bring fulfillment. They say, well, that sounds good. And it does sound good, doesn't it? And notice their next question as they realize what Jesus is offering them. They say, what must we do? Even back then, they lived in this merit-based society, this culture that says you have to work for what you get. We bring that into the church sometimes, don't we? God, what do I have to do to earn your favor, to earn your forgiveness? And I love what Jesus says. He says, you're asking me about the work you must do? You believe in the one who's done the work of God on your behalf okay so we're supposed to put our faith in you okay they're tracking with Jesus we're supposed to believe in you okay Jesus give us a sign show us something so that we don't waste our belief and our trust in someone like you who may or may not be from God we need confirmation here so give us a sign what had Jesus just done He had just fed this crowd of over 5,000 people. He had just healed many sick people. And John, again, no mistake, uses the word signs to describe what Jesus had done. They asked for a sign, and Jesus had given them signs already. You see, their immediate desires overshadowed their deepest needs. And so often that happens to us. As they were thinking about this, it's almost like they thought about and maybe discussed their history, their past. And they remembered a sign that their ancestors had. Hey, our ancestors got a sign. Moses gave them manna. Moses gave them bread from heaven. Moses provided for their needs. Again, you see where their minds are, right? Stomachs. Moses gave them food. So Jesus, it was great that you fed the crowd one time. But they got daily bread from Moses. And Jesus corrects their assumption. He says, now first of all, it wasn't Moses that provided the food. The food came from God. It was manna from heaven. And it wasn't just about your physical needs. It wasn't just about filling your stomachs. It was about giving you life. Look at verse 33. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. God's provision isn't just for our physical well-being. It's not just to satisfy and fill our stomachs. It's meant to give life. Remember what we said? Jesus said in John 10, 10, I have come that you would have life, abundant life, life in all of its abundance, that you would be fulfilled, that you would have eternal, everlasting, meaningful life at the end of John's gospel he sums it up and says that's why I'm writing all of this that's why I'm telling you about Jesus in John 20 verse 31 so that you would believe he is the Messiah the son of God and by believing you may have what life in his name if our children are using their kids news and keeping up with key words I know sometimes they do that I can tell you, life is going to win today. Life is the key word. Jesus said, I came to give you life. And that's the message. Jesus wants to give you life. So many times we play the game of life and we go through and we do the best we can, but all the while in the back of our minds, we're wondering, is this what it's about? Is this really what it's about? Going to work every day? About cleaning a house that gets dirty? About paying bills, about maybe every once in a while getting to go on a trip or having fun or, or being with friends. Surely there's something more. Jesus came to give you life, to show you what everyone who plays the game of life wants to know what it's all about how to win at life. He wants to share with you what you need most. Not necessarily what you think you want right now. Everlasting, abundant life. Well, that sounded good to to people who were listening to Jesus that day. And so they said, we want this life. In fact, we want this bread that you're talking about from heaven, like our ancestors had. That sounds great. In fact, the text says that they say, always give us this bread. It's a weird way to say it. I think what they're saying is, keep it coming. Just like you fed us, that big crowd, that'd be great if you just do that every day. Keep it coming. Always give us this bread. It reminds me of what the Samaritan woman in John chapter four said at the well when Jesus said, I can give you water, living water. You will never thirst again. Do you remember what she said? Oh, give me this water. How do I get this water? Because that would keep keep me from having to traipse to this well every day with my bucket. So give me this water. They say, give me this bread. Where do we find it? What does it look like? Do we need to go out like the Israelites did in the morning and gather it from the ground? Here's what Jesus says. Verse 35. Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. (laughs) They weren't expecting that. I am the bread of life, Jesus says. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be hungry thirsty jesus says i am the bread of life no you don't go out and gather it from the ground like your ancestors did you come to me i am the bread of life i'm not just coming to give you bread jesus says i am the bread i sustain life i give you life you see satisfying physical hunger we all know that's temporary that doesn't last And he's asking them and he's asking us to look at him through spiritual eyes, to look above and beyond our immediate context that we get so wrapped up in and to see Jesus for who he really is, the giver of eternal life, everlasting life, abundant life. He's asking us to stop going around and around the game board and just find peace in him, find our identity in him. He is the bread of life. Well, the people didn't really believe him. They weren't expecting him to say that, and it didn't sound right. Bread of life? Bread of heaven? You're not the bread from heaven. You're the carpenter's son from Nazareth. We know you. And Jesus, again, says who he is, making an appeal to them to find life in him. Verse 47, very truly I tell you, The one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, and yet they died. But here, you can almost see him pointing at himself, at his own body, but here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of life of the world. You see what Jesus is saying there? It's something you need to hear. It's something I need to hear, and that is that Jesus satisfies the deepest longing of our souls. Jesus provides. More than that, he is the bread of life. So stop playing the game. Stop searching for what life is all about. The things of this world even the good things, the enjoyable things, they do not last. They, they do not bring fulfillment. They are simply a shadow of satisfaction. Things that we think are so important here and now, they are fleeting. They are inadequate. C.S. Lewis said, if I find myself a desire <clears throat> which no experience in this world can satisfy, then there's only one reasonable conclusion, and that is that I was made For another world. I think that is so true. And so if Jesus is the bread of life, that means nothing else can fully satisfy. It's important for us to go there in this conversation because it's easy to say Jesus satisfies, Jesus fulfills, but that means something. It means if Jesus is the exclusive bread of life, then all the things we think are so important in life, they don't do it. Not money, not careers, not fame, not fortune, not social standing, not the things that we love as a part of this life, food and material things, not the desire to have people like us or respect us or fear us. Nothing can satisfy. We so often trade what we need most for what we want right now. Delayed gratification seems to be a lost discipline in our day and time. So what is the goal of life? It's not to finish with the most. It's not to earn or make or get through with the most money. The goal of life is Jesus. To find our identity and our purpose and our meaning and our hope and life in him. That's the goal. And so Jesus says, as the bread of life, you are to partake of me. You are to consume me. In fact, he goes on to say, you must eat my flesh. It sounds weird, doesn't it? Well, for the people listening to Jesus that day, it sounded very weird. It was disturbing. But Jesus presses on. He doubles down on the metaphor. Chapter 6, verse 53, Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. I don't think Jesus here necessarily is trying to teach them about communion, these people didn't even know at this point what communion was. However, when we today participate in communion, we are embodying this teaching of Jesus. We are symbolically acting out what Jesus said has to happen, and that is that we eat his flesh and drink his blood. And as we eat his flesh and drink his blood, we consume Jesus, we identify with Jesus, we share in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. We claim him as our Lord and Savior. So this morning we waited to have communion because it ties so well into this text, into what Jesus is teaching here. But we also waited to have communion to get us out of our routine because as I said earlier, so many times routine becomes rote and we simply go through the motions This morning, we're going to eat the bread and we're going to drink the cup, the blood of Christ. And I remember as a child, as I would watch, before I began to participate in communion, I would watch and I would always wonder, why is it such a small piece of cracker? (laughs) Why is it such a little bitty sip of juice? And even now with our little prepackaged ones, I mean, sometimes the little cracker, you can almost miss it, right? It's so small. And you know what? I, I think there's some value in that, actually. And here's, here's why I think it's valuable. Because this little bitty portion reminds us that this is not about filling our stomachs. This is not about quenching our thirst. I mean, I, I can't imagine being to the point of almost hungry, and I eat that little cracker, and I go, now I'm full. <laughs> it's all, I just needed that little bitty bit. You see, this isn't about our physical bodies. This isn't to nourish us physically. This is a spiritual feast. And we come to the table together. And as we come to the table, we are reminded that we are spiritual beings and that we were created, yes, physical, to live in this world as we must and as we do, but that's not our purpose. And that certainly is not our highest pursuit. We are children of God, made in the image of God, saved by the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. And so this morning, as we commune together, picture in your mind a spiritual feast, not to satisfy our stomachs, not to quench our physical thirst, but to fulfill us and satisfy us spiritually, to meet the deepest longing of our soul to be with God to have our sins removed so that we can be in the presence of a holy and loving God. We're going to sing a song, and then we will participate in communion together. We, let's bow together. Father God, there are so many things, as you know, in this life that drain the life out of us. And Father, we gather today around your table acknowledging that Jesus has come to give us life, to fill us up, to satisfy us, to meet our greatest need. Father, for that we are thankful. And So together we participate in this time, in this breaking of bread, in this consumption of your body. We thank you so much for the body that was given for us, for the sacrifice that was made for us, for the life given that gives us life. Bless this bread as we partake. In Jesus' name, amen. God, our Father, as we now take this cup and we drink this cup, we are reminded of the blood of Christ, the blood that was shed for us, the blood, the precious blood that was spilled on the cross. Father, we are thankful for that sacrifice. We know that life comes at a great cost, and that cost was the death of your Son, For that, we are humbled and we are grateful. And Father, as we together commune, as we together drink this cup, may your precious Son's blood cleanse us forever, for all of eternity. Thank you for Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.